0: If you're at a college now, there's the smell of new stuff everywhere you go. It's that new plasticky lunchbox, it's a new hat, it's new uniforms, it's new contacts covering new books. And I don't know if anyone else is like that here, but I love that smell of new stuff. I can sniff it all day long. And it is true that people love the smell of new things. You know, you, I don't know if you know. You can actually buy an air freshener for your car that's actually called new car smell, so it can be smelling it. you oh, I'm in a new car. How lovely! And you may also not know that modern brain scientists who are educationalists have begun to explore how actually the human quest for newness actually is a powerful motivation for learning. So at one level, it can be a tremendous thing. But at the same time. I would like to begin with considering how newness and our passion for newness can have a downside as well when we have the obsession to have the newest and the flashiest and we all know that Apple Computer has this down pat because if I actually asked who had an iPhone 3, you might not say an iPhone 4, uh, iPhone 5, a few hands would go up, iPhone 6, you would be punching your fist in the air. Apple computer knows the drive we have to get the newest piece of technology and it's because all too readily something old is what something new has quickly become. Oh, it was new, now it's old and we get driven to think, oh well, toss it out, get a new one. Pastor Adam, we don't do that with pastors generally. In front of me is a scripture text that actually speaks directly to this human compulsion for newness, for unending novelty, for the glory way where everything's majestic. Our Lord knows you and me. Our Lord knows the hazard for the soul that makes an all-too-easy drift from this compul- compulsion for newness into what can become an unending and onerous desire for a new mountaintop religious experience, on a quest longing that maybe I will discover there that God does actually love me, on a quest to get assurance that God will be gracious to me, especially when all around is change and decay or when things are uncertain or unclear. We begin entering that temptation. Maybe God's no longer interested in us. Today there's a gospel reading, a tremendous story that will guide our feet to walk by faith with the Lord who is very much a down-to-earth God where we are at in the midst of what might even be the monotonous or the mundane. It's the new term... But we're also about to begin another new journey and that is this Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. So we're beginning Lent. And Lent is the journey to discover God not in some glory moment but in the midst of suffering and death on a cross at Calvary. But there he is purposefully to be found to bring you and I abundant forgiveness of all our sin And the Gospel reading and the celebration today is called Transfiguration. It's this story from Luke's Gospel and yes, it teaches us to live by faith in the messiness of everyday life, of ordinary things. The simple theme is here in Transfiguration. We actually find God's guiding hand leading us away from the way of glory actually to what we call the way of the cross for the way of the cross is hope and good life. You've heard the expression mountaintop experience, I know. It's the awe that I learned not so recently, I and mean just recently, not so long ago, when you're on the sky rail, if you've ever done that, and when you're coming back this way, you pop out of the rainforest and there's the awesome view of Trinity Bay. You call that a mountaintop experience. It's that Ah, oh, that's incredible And when you read the Gospel story of the Mount Transfiguration, it's a story that seems to point us to a mountaintop experience with Jesus. But we're actually going to learn it's the contrary. Let's get there. What's the story about? Three disciples, Peter, John and James, are taken by Jesus to a mountain. On top of the mountain, while Jesus is praying, his clothes become dazzlingly white and they see him surrounded by Moses and Elijah and the three are talking. Now here's a clue, everyone. What they're talking about is very significant. When you get to eavesdrop on such a conversation, Jesus dazzling white, Moses and Elijah on a mountaintop, you think, oh, I should pay attention to what they're talking about. It's probably important. So what they're talking about is very significant because it has to do with God's plan of salvation for you and me. And they're talking about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. We'll come back to that. Now in this moment, Peter wants to make some dwellings, some tents. He wants to put like little market booths and contain what's going on. There's this awesome experience that he wants to put In a way that he can hold on to. And no sooner has he suggested that than from a cloud around them comes this voice that declares, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Voice is spoken. Everything disappears. And all the disciples see, and the scripture makes it really clear, Jesus only. All gone away, Jesus only. It is true, everyone. This is really an astounding story in all that we learn about Jesus and all that he does. Here there's deep mysteries and deep wonders. It's as if on this mountain time and space have been called to halt Suspended as Jesus is transfigured. And when you hear that Moses and Elijah are there, really that's actually highlighting something of God's eternal promised kingdom, all captured here. God is reigning. Sin, death and the devil defeated forever. This eternal bliss with our gracious God. And at the centre of all this appearing, we've now learned is Jesus. At one point, what does this mean? Who is this Jesus only? In front of the disciples with all this majesty and extraordinary moment, he's revealed as the true Messiah. He will be powerful to save and you can trust him. God declares he is the beloved son and we listen to him with careful ears because he is the one who will guide us along the pathway to good life. And Peter deeply appreciates the significance of that. Peter holds on to how very powerful and extraordinary this moment is. And I love Peter's honesty in these moments. He's the one that wants to build these three dwellings because in his head he's thinking, look, if I can capture this, it's a bit like that amazing Blu-ray in Captain America if you're a movie buff. He thinks if he can capture this and hold on to this, he's going to be able to bring about great change in the world. I love the way Peter is passionate like that. In the miracle stories, Peter's the one that jumps out of the boat and walks towards Jesus, almost oblivious to what he's doing. And in the same way he wants to contain this with this compulsion, I think what's going on is he sees that now Jesus will be a mighty warrior. He's going to be the king who will bring destruction where it's deserved. And we have this feeling when you and I see wars and terror on TV. God, destroy those evildoers. Do something about them, please. Come and reign with all your power. Get rid of the bad people with a million angels. Straighten out all the problem people around me. But, but leave me alone, God, because I'm quite okay, really. Peter has this passion. He's hoping for Jesus to be the warrior king. And the significance of this story friends in Christ, is that our God knows the difference between what we might want in our human soul and what we desperately need as sinful human beings, as people of earth, as people who ourselves sin against God. How does God guide us? Follow with me the extraordinary sequence the conversation that happens on this mountain. Remember I said there's a significant thing about what they're talking about. Significant thing about what they're talking about. We find these three characters, Moses, Elijah and Jesus, are talking about his journey to Jerusalem. What's going to happen at Jerusalem? Isn't this where Jesus will suffer and die? It doesn't sound too glorious to me. So in this mountaintop experience, our ears of faith are tuned into the cross. In the text it talks about his departure, his exodus. And exodus is leading out of bondage of slavery to the promised land. They're talking about the Lord who's going to lead you and I into good life. And we know the cross is his journey to bring you and I from sin to life and salvation. And the disciples don't get this. The disciples don't get this. They don't realise the significance of this. That it's not the religious experience of the mountaintop, but the way of the cross. The way of the cross, following where Jesus leads us. And just to ensure that even though the disciples might not get this, and that you and I might not pick this up straight away, the scripture story gives us something to make sure we never forget the significance of where we're going to be led because in the midst of them and their talking, out from the cloud says the voice, listen to him, listen to Jesus. This is your hope. This is your life. Listen to him. Follow where he leads, even if it is on a way through struggle, even if it means there's difficulty ahead for you. Follow where he leads, for this will be God's good and gracious will for you. In the story, immediately the glory vision is gone. Peter can't contain that mountaintop experience, but he's left with Jesus only. That's what we get. Jesus only, our gracious Lord. This is very important for living by faith, because... We're going to learn what happens next in the Bible text. The story of the transfiguration has a very significant part B in what comes after it. In Luke chapter 9, something that teaches us what's very important for living by faith, we learn that Jesus walks with the disciples away from that mountaintop down into a valley amidst a big crowd of people and in that moment amongst ordinary folk we find that Jesus heals a boy who's been burdened by convulsions and restores a family to good life. The desire for mountain home experiences can be so very consuming for the human soul, longing to know maybe, is this going to show me that God is gracious to me? I once met a woman who had been baptised as an adult 24 times in 24 different churches, each time continually longing that maybe here there will be a mountaintop religious experience that will confirm for her God's grace and love for her and maybe all the time taking her eyes off where transfiguration points her, to Jesus, God for her. Because in this story we are shown Jesus walking into the valley where we are where we are, wherever we are, whatever our struggle. Amidst the ordinariness of life, amidst the difficulties of a family in trouble, there Jesus chooses to be. The story of the Transfiguration says that glory way is beyond us. That may be something even beyond our dying. Right now God's desire is to be lifting us in this life, listening to our needs, Even going to the cross that we might discover in the cross the fullness of God's grace and love where he dies for sin once for all, declaring there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace and love. It is freely given for Jesus' sake. Freely given. And this is the Lord who then promises, I will be with you to the close of the age. Everyone, it is no mistake, no coincidence that of all Australian funerals you'll ever get to, the most popular Bible reading, it's as if everyone picks it first when you look at the Bible readings for a funeral, even if it's not a strongly Christian funeral. If there's one Bible reading, does anyone know what you're going to get every single time? Somebody must know. Pastor Adam, you've been in a parish. You know what that one psalm is going to be every time? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. You've scored. Lord is my shepherd. And why is that? Is because it actually proclaims the same message that we've been learning from the story of the transfiguration. Listen to these words from Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. The valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That's why this Psalm proclaims a message that people long to hear of God with us and for us. This is the Jesus who declares himself present for our sake in ordinary places. You'll come to communion where he says, I'm actually present in that bread and wine. In ordinary actions where you see the baptism even of a little child where his word and water flourish faith and everyone wants baptism is enough. Once is enough where Jesus declares himself to be with this extraordinary treasure of this message in ordinary people like you and me, even like Pastor Adam Imey. He delights to be at work in and through ordinary people, bringing this message of hope and salvation. And in this, Pastor Adam, as our new college pastor, will join his voice with the voice that we heard from the cloud as he directs the attention of the college community to Jesus and tells them, Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Let me end, and as I end, if somebody faithful from the congregation who knows these things could give me some more water. Everyone, I am an Atherton table ender, but I drink a lot. Water. I'd like to end with the story of another college pastor. Actually, Chris, could you put it in there for me? That would be great. I could drink most of that myself, everyone. I'd I'd like to end with the story of another school pastor, Pastor Adam, and I'm not sure if you know this man. And this other college pastor, a man who worked with the school, learned how to teach the way of the cross through his own journey as he travelled through the valley of the shadow of death. He's a pastor who is alive still now, who preaches the grace of God at work in his life, although no one can understand a word he says apart from his close family and friends. His name is Rick. And I've asked Pastor Rick Sweck if he didn't mind that I share his story and he's very glad for people to hear and to know how he is sustained by the grace of God as he continues to witness to the way of the cross that people would learn to follow our Lord Jesus trusting that he's always guiding you Ultimately, from death to life. Three years ago, Pastor Rick learned that he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And for those that don't know motor neurone disease, it simply means that all your muscles slowly shut down and one of the first things is that your feet don't work properly and your voice, vocal cords, you actually can't control them. So your involuntary muscles keep working but other things just stop working progressively. At the time, Pastor Rick was the pastor at Caloundra at the Lutheran Church on the Sunshine Coast and I knew all this because I had become the college pastor at Pacific Lutheran College there. So, in a sense, Rick was my pastor. And Rick loved schools and what God can do through schools in the church. Loved it so much that he himself was instrumental in the whole establishment of Pacific Lutheran College. He turned up at this parish and worked with the people to get that school going so that young people could be blessed with the good news of the grace of God. Then he gets motor neurone disease. And I remember one moment of deep pain for Rick It was soon after his diagnosis as he wondered why was the Lord leading him through an illness that first of all impacted on his voice, his voice, a tool that I'm sure you're aware as you heard me begin the service trying to be amplified, a tool that's so vital for a pastor in his ministry. And Rick struggled and implored the Lord asking, how come the Bible talks about the healing of blind Bartimaeus, but but what was going on for Rick Sweck? But despite his struggles, Rick knows that he travels through the valley of the, sh- the shadow of death, fearing no evil, for you are with me, O Lord. The Lord is with him, and he knows this. And Rick proclaims this in many ways. He's had to learn new ways of how to proclaim this through his life. In fact, just a week ago, the college pastor at Pacific left to become bishop. That's me everyone. So they didn't have a pastor for their opening service. So what they did was they had Pastor Rick come back and in his wheelchair he actually had somebody else read a typed manuscript while he simply just sat there doing the hand actions that went along with his message. You see although he's struggling to have his voice understood, his spoken voice he proclaims his faith continually in the God of the cross knowing that for Christ's sake God holds fast to him, knowing that the name Rick Swick is engraved in the palm of God's hand. And though the scriptures say, though a mother may forget her child, the Lord will never forget us. The Lord will not forget Rick Swick, And in a sense he has an outward rejoicing in this certainty of faith that the Lord is taking his hand through this dark valley and will lead him home through death, into the eternal glories of his heavenly home. Pastor Adam, Pastor Adam, today you're installed in this tradition that Rick highlights, to preach Christ and him crucified, that the people in your care would discover the grace of God at work in everyday lives, in everyday places, that we would faithfully follow where he leads. And for this, your work, Adam, St Paul gives you encouragement from the second reading we heard today. Since it is by God's mercy we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. For Christ's sake, Amen. Friends, the peace of God that passes our understanding. Keep each of our hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.